You're listening to the profession's greatest physical therapist, Their Past, Our Future podcast. We're your hosts, Ethan Mitchell and Joey Stewart, first-year physical therapy students at Angelo State University. This is the podcast that is made to inspire pre-PTs, SPTs, and current physical therapists to become the greatest versions of themselves, physically, mentally, academically, financially, and spiritually. Let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Today, we got a very special guest on our podcast today. We got the lovely DPT, Steph. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course, it's a pleasure to have you on. So go ahead and break down for us um, just how you came to be where you are today. Yeah, so um, I graduated PT school in 2019. And been practicing in acute care for I would say like 95% of the time. Um, I started when I was waiting to take my board exam um, in outpatient ortho, like a cash-based one-on-one clinic. So I got a taste of that. And then um, a job had opened up at a hospital that I wanted to work at. And it just happened to be right when I was passing my board exam. So changed my job after a few months and I have pretty much never looked back um been in acute care the whole rest of the time obviously until you know today and it's just kind of there's nothing that I like don't like about it so it's kind of um just where I'm content and happy to be right now and that's it gotcha and that's cool to hear that you made that transition from like ortho to acute care and um I've actually gotten to see a lot of that happen with some of my classmates so far um, because we've at least been through our acute care rotation and then a lot of them have just kind of fallen head over heels for it and have committed themselves to wanting to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, Um, it's a really good like work-life balance and I think that's why a lot of people are kind of drawn to it and then just the overall experiences that you have, at least for me in the hospital is kind of like what solidified it. Um, it's, I, for me, it's, it's funny. I always tell people, they're like, well, which setting was your least favorite? And I, I think I'm kind of like, uh, in the minority on this one. I don't like, not like any setting. It's weird. You know, like I, I like all of them. I like acute care the most, but I like all of them. So it's, it's, you know, everyone kind of, ha- you have to kind of trial and error sometimes to find which one, you know, you like the most or like the least, but you know, it, or maybe you don't like one at all. Yeah, that's definitely not weird, Steph. Well, maybe we're weird because I, <laughs> I also love just all different aspects of physical therapy. And, you know, they all, in essence, are one of the same. It's really about having a heart for people and meeting them where they're at and helping them find where they want to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, and for me personally, what I liked about acute care when I went through it is... Um, it's a very, very wide scope, it seems. Um, like, Ethan, I kind of think about the cases you saw in acute care compared to what I saw, compared to what, of our other, what a lot of our other classmates saw, whether they be big city or small town hospital. I mean, they, they had to see it all and they had to know it all. So kind of break down for me what like that aspect of it has been like for you. Yeah, I think that's, you know, you always hear 
some comments where people are saying it's very repetitive or it's mundane, I guess you can say. But I think one of the things that I enjoy the most about it is you can have 20 patients. I was going to say like five, but you can really have like 20 patients who all have the same past medical history or same diagnoses or same issue that they came in, but they all present so differently. So you can have a game plan for every single one of those patients based off what you read in the chart to go when you go into that room and you can have plan A, plan B, plan C, and you might have to go to plan D. (laughs) And I think that's, it's kind of like a, a puzzle game, I guess you can say for lack of better words. And and I think, you know, that's what I tend to enjoy the most out of it because you never really know what you're walking into. Um, And then you also don't really know how a patient's going to react or tolerate whatever you have them do. Yeah. And going off of that step, I know there's a stigma within physical therapy, maybe physical therapy students that acute care PT is just like, oh, all we do is just stand our patients up and take them to the bathroom sometimes. But you've been very vocal on social media and really doing your best to elevate the profession and saying, hey, no, we do so much more than that. There's so much more clinical thinking involved, so much more we can do for patients and different interventions that we can apply with patients. Can you talk a little bit more about your world with that, how you think outside of the box and your clinical thinking and different interventions or maybe just applying things differently? Yeah, it's a great question because I think a lot of people do say that, but I think the people who are the ones say that are I don't want to say lacking in clinical decision-making because that's kind of on the harsher side, but for lack of better words and for a simpler explanation, I'll say that um, because the same principle can kind of be applied to any setting like outpatient orthopedics. If you, if every patient that comes in with low back pain, you're doing the same three exercises with, I could turn around and say, well, that's pretty boring. And I did a clinical rotation that was exactly like that. And I know many PT students that do. And every low back pain patient gets pelvic tilts and clamshells, you know, the whole gamut. Um, For me personally, I actually thrive, like knowing that people think that because it makes me feel like, okay, well, I know that I'm not just that, but what can I do to elevate my clinical skills to show the patient or the physician or the nurse, whoever that, no, that's not what I'm like. And I think it also, if it was as simple as just standing someone up or walking them to the bathroom, walking them down the hall, then nurses or CNAs or PCTs, whatever your hospital calls them, like the aides can also be doing that. But we've all, if you had an acute care clinical or an acute care experience, you've seen that that's not the case. And I've been in situations and I've seen memes, so I know I'm not the only one that, you know the nurse and the PCA says that it takes three people to get a patient out of bed and then PT and OT come in and it's like a one person and they just like whisk them right up. So, you know, it's, if there wasn't a skill there, there wouldn't be such a drastic, drastic difference. And I've had that experience countless times. Um, But when it comes to the more specific interventions, which you had asked about, um, 
I think it's hard to, to say, but I would say if you're, if you're looking at a patient and you know, you're just going to get up and walk and then put them back to bed in minutes, are you really doing skilled PT? Um, because your session should not be 10 minutes. Uh, you didn't go to school like for three years to work with a patient for 10 minutes. Um, but what I try to do is uh, something that I, I have enjoyed the most is doing more like what I call blocked practice, which you may, every PT student may have learned at some point where if obviously if your patient's having trouble doing a transfer, I practice it a couple of times. I'm like, okay, I'm not just going to sit here and be like, all right, we're standing. All right, now go for a walk. Like, no, let's work on that a few times. Then what can I do to make, make it better? Do we have to practice with the bed being higher or are they really good at the bed being higher? So now let's lower the bed. Can they get in and out of bed with the head up, but they're supposed to be discharged home and their head, the head of the bed at their bed at home doesn't go up. So how are they going to, you know, you can say they're supervision for doing it in the hospital, but are they really going to be supervision at home? Um, so I think the, the environment and the transfer of skills gets lost very easily. So that's where I try to, you know, put my focus because um, I personally would always want my patients to go home because I've seen the cares in rehab or nursing facilities that some patients get. So maybe I push them a little bit harder than others, but it's, it's hard to say. That was a very long-winded answer. (laughs) Oh, I appreciate that. And, you know, hearing you talk, it sounds like things back to the fundamentals, which is, and, you know, the fundamentals are super important and there's so many different concepts to think about, but really what you mentioned to me, just there, like part practices, you're finding the impairment. Maybe they have trouble rolling over in the bed. Um, and that's going to be the thing that you guys work on for that day, instead of just, you know, having them roll over once and then walking, which they don't have trouble with, you know, I think physical therapists have the eye to really find those things and think about the environment that they'll have at their home and how to give them tips on biomechanical advantage, like, you know, scooting to the edge of the chair or nose over toes yeah we really know that stuff better than anybody yeah and we know the why behind it too which mm-hmm. is you know we're not just spitting out facts and so sure um kind of going along with um ethan's first question um what other things about acute care pt do you think have been misconstrued or what other things would you want people to know about acute care pt I feel like the walking thing is the biggest thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, something like, I feel like PTs or like PT students know more, more of this now, more now so than ever before, because early mobility is a huge thing that I feel like a lot of like older clinicians and like physicians, not just PTs, um, forget about. And I think we really need, there's a huge need for PT in acute care, even in the emergency department. And like, I love getting cases in the emergency department because it's, you really can make such a huge impact in, you know, such a brief time and really start someone's trajectory for their care while they're in the hospital. Um, but I think a, a lot of it, there's like a 
discharge service rather than an early on service. I don't know like the, what word to use for that because you know when someone comes in with chest pain they say oh let's go put in a consult for the cardiology team well if someone comes in for a fall or for back pain the mindset should really be well let's consult pt and kind of just with anyone who's in the icu like early mobility is huge we it's okay to get patients up obviously if they're medically stable to some degree but it's okay to be getting patients up while they're still on a ventilator, while they're still trached. And a lot of people, that principle is, I, I feel like is becoming more and more known and for lack of better words, popular, but it's still something that I feel like doesn't really get emphasized nearly as much as it should be. For sure. And I love how you brought up the idea of PT in the emergency department. Um, we had a project this past semester talking about that actually. And um it talked about how outcomes for those patients were significantly greater than patients with similar cases who hadn't gotten PT in the emergency department. And I think kind of like you said, that's a very often slept on idea about the uh, early mobility aspect of things. And um, another thing you mentioned too, that kind of reminded me of something I learned at CSM was it was talking about using interval training for, um, like patients who are on dialysis or on a ventilator or something or another um, and talking about all the benefits they gain um, just from getting up and moving around, whether it be, it was technically on high intensity interval training, but even if you just adjusted the interval to an intensity they can handle um, the insane amount of benefits they get was um, pretty remarkable. So I'm yeah. glad you brought all that up. It's crazy. I've even seen patients. Um, I don't know if it's because of like the new residents or like they've recently kind of moved around the hierarchy in the hospital because the residents start late June, early July. Um, but I've noticed over the past couple of weeks that a lot of consults for PT have been coming in like way later than normally. Like a lot of teams are very good and they'll put it in day one, day two admission, but we're getting them like four or five days later into the admission. And I'm noticing that even though these patients don't do much, maybe the first day we're up because they're so weak from being in bed for several days already. If you're a little, if you push them a little bit more, their gains are almost greater in like a short period of time. So now that you mentioned that I'm like thinking back and I'm like, Hmm, are we onto something here? <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like when even though the mobility might be less, like it might just be a bed to chair transfer, or it might just be standing a couple of times or sitting at the edge of the bed for five, 10 minutes. There's some things I'm like, oh, okay, wait, you're bouncing back a lot quicker than you may have otherwise. Yeah. And Joey mentioned the hemodialysis, like as CSM, to just go dive a little bit more on that topic, they would have. Uh, hemodialysis patients get up and do it or something or some sort of exercise versus the hemo group that didn't and the hemodialysis ex uh, group that was like exercising had like 50% gains compared to the control group and that's I find that insane but in practical sense like in the actual hospital I hear HD patients you know they feel like crap they don't want to get up so you're going to have to be uh, a master communicator <laughs> to, 
to I'd want to see like the demographic that they've done for that like if it was older or younger middle-aged whatever population and like comorbidities and stuff because I don't think I've I think there's maybe been say I worked with 100 patients on hemodialysis in three years whatever like to throw a number out there I think I've maybe worked with five that are on the same day as hemodialysis and this is like hours afterwards like not like more like you know like immediately when they come back to the floor so I'd be very curious but if then again it's like I feel like patients who are in the hospital receiving dialysis oftentimes are a little could be can be a little bit sicker too so I don't know that's interesting good food food for thought yeah well you think about BFR like the blood flow resistance i think blood flow restriction and Mm -hmm. how blood flow restriction training leads to greater hemodialysis and having less blood but you know yeah food for thought love to see more (laughs) on that topic yeah and ethan you brought up a really good point too um just about how acute care PTs really do kind of have to be a masterful of communicators. And I noticed that was one thing I really gained a lot of appreciation of in my time during acute care. Cause you know, I go talk to the patient, they outright reject me. You know, I'll walk away, tail tucked between my legs. My CI goes in there, manages to like get them up and get them walking. Um, so I've always had a deep appreciation for that. And what are just your strategies or What's your mindset when it comes to doing that? Yeah, I think I laugh at that because I feel like that's such a, like, even as a new grad, like you just, you never know what to like really say or how to manage those situations. So those are situations that definitely take time to be comfortable in and be more confident in. Um, It's one of those things that I think how you talk to the patient and you like whether you treat like a person or just like I'm going to figure out the best way to phrase this when you treat them like an actual human being and not just like a name on your paper like a, like a, a patient that means nothing to you and just need like a stat if that makes sense um there's a big difference in how you talk to them so with all of my patients not even ones who I think may like reject me and be tired or aren't feeling good and don't want to do PT. I always go in, I say, good morning, good afternoon, whatever. And I always say, how are you? I'm Stephanie from physical therapy. I never say like, I'm Stephanie from physical therapy. Today, we're going to do this, 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 like sound good. Okay, let's go. Which some people have the tendency to do like word vomit and they don't really like leave room for discussion. Um, and I found, I find that patients are a lot more willing to work with you if you just like stand there for a minute and hear them out. Like sometimes they'll complain about a doctor. Maybe sometimes they'll complain about how they don't feel good, or maybe they'll say, oh, I'm actually feeling great. Or I'm feeling better than I was yesterday. Like, what do you, what are you here for? What do you want me to do? And they're willing to work with you. And I find that if you're willing to spend a minute or two and talk to them, it literally makes a world of a difference. And it's costing you nothing. And a lot of people are like, oh, we're so worried about productivity. We're worried about, no, a minute, two minutes at most. And if you find that they're talking a lot, then you can always redirect the conversation. And that's another skill in itself. But that's what I find as far as communication regarding patient care. Obviously, you get some ones that maybe aren't feeling good or, or just don't have the nicest personalities. 
but then again, treat them like a human being. If you were in a hospital, like not feeling well, would you be the most thrilled person? <laughs> Probably not. Um, I know I'd be very cranky <laughs> and you're, you know, most of them also don't sleep well because of all the bells and whistles and everything going off. You kind of have to just like put them in, put yourself in their shoes for a minute and talk to them how you'd want to be spoken to, especially like we all know that doctors and nurses are so busy and they are flying in and out of rooms and most of them are not talking to them for more than a few minutes. So we have the ability to do that because we spend more time with the patients. You put that beautifully. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah. I had a question, Joey, if you wouldn't mind. Okay. Um, so I've had this, I don't know if it's a theory, but maybe just an idea of maybe there's sometimes where you let them go if like having a really bad day, like as a way to build poor and set expectations, but like, okay, but we, this will be the only time. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think, um, like giving a patient a day off is worth it sometimes, or how do you go about deciding, okay, I'm like whether to push or not? Yes. Yes. It's definitely, it's hard to say because it's definitely situational. Excuse me. Obviously, if it was like a discharge need, I'm going to be pushing as much as I can. There's times where I'll like even argue back and forth. I'm like, no, come on, we have to go. And they're like, oh no, I'm like, whatever. And I'm like, no, like we have to. And they're like, it'll, it'll go on for like five minutes. And I don't, it's like laughing, arguing, but I'll push a little bit more and try to come up with every snook. Um, but then there's patients where, okay, maybe yesterday they did 25 feet with the walker and, you know, they're planning for the nursing home. So like, if you don't see them today, like it'll be okay, but then you just educate them a little bit or maybe speak to the nurse and say, Hey, they don't want to get up with me right now. Maybe it was like 10 AM lunch is coming in an hour or two yesterday. They walked with me and I know they're only a contact guard to stand. They want to make sure to get up out of bed into the chair for lunch. Can you help them do that in an hour? And like, you kind of have to be the middle person sometimes, because like I said, you know, just a minute ago, nurses are very busy. And especially if you're on like a medicine non-surgical unit, they're going to be 10 times as busy and you have to like kind of push a little bit for your patients, which it's like one of those things you shouldn't have to do, but like kind of have to do in just United States healthcare. (laughs) But I feel like when it comes to letting patients like kind of wiggle out of a session, it's, it's just, you have to kind of think of the big picture, like, well, if they don't get up with me today, what's the loss or what's the gain or, you know, what, what is the outcome of this? And you kind of also, after some time, understand how to have a patient care list. Like if you're working on one unit, right. You have X amount of patients you have to see for the day. Well, like what's tomorrow going to look like if I don't see this patient, maybe you had a lot of refusals in the morning. So you're going to have to go back and see all these patients tomorrow. So it's like, you know, a whole, there's a lot of factors for sure. But I think it's, I also, I never try to let a patient just say no and like walk out. It's kind of a lazy approach. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Yeah. And another question I have is about explaining the consequences of not getting up, which sometimes can invoke fear. And as we all know, Fear is a huge 
driver of behavior and can motivate someone to do something, but that may be a uh, short-term grab, or maybe it's a a long-term motivation. What are your thoughts on just explaining the consequences of someone not getting up, like talking about maybe bed sores, uh, losing your muscle mass? Do you do that often? Yeah, I mean, I think the only like negative thing that I've ever really said, I, I, I guess I kind of in it where I'm like oh if you don't get up like you may feel weaker tomorrow or like we don't want you to we want to make sure that you're strong enough to go home so you don't fall and like I'll even joke and you get a lot of dad jokes cute care if no one's realized that already so I'll even make jokes and I'm like oh as much as we love having you here like we don't want you to fall when you're home and come back like you know it's silly things like that as grandmas appreciate that stuff um (laughs) so you know it's it's like little things like that where I never say like oh if you're if you don't get out of bed like you're gonna get bed sores you're gonna get so much weaker it's kind of how you you spin it and you say no like you know why don't you get up to the chair at least like you might you know or sometimes they'll be positioned in beds, like all scrunched up towards the bottom. And I'm like, why don't you sit up a little bit so we can reposition you. So maybe we'll feel more comfortable or so you sit up right when food comes or, you know, try to spin it in ways that it's going to help them rather than if you don't do this, like you're going to become a vegetable. Yeah. So you give them tangibles and short takeaways, like okay yeah it's it's gonna be worth it to get up and move you know like or if someone's complaining about pain I'll say well like yes it's gonna hurt now but if you don't do it today it may hurt more tomorrow because you may get still laying in bed or you you know whatever the reason is you have to kind of find like what is it that they like why should they do it and you should be like presenting that to kind of like persuade them rather than to just like throw out all of the the harmful things that may happen for sure um one other thing i wanted to touch on too because um i kind of like as i look at your page i've kind of gained a really deep appreciation for this but you really cover your audience covers a very wide base of whether it be pre-pts or students or new grads um you kind of address a lot of audiences with a lot of your content and um what kind of inspired you to go that route? Oh, I don't know. I think I kind of just fell into it, to be honest. Um, I, I never wanted to be on social media. That to everybody, everyone's like, oh, how do I have a platform? And I'm like, I literally couldn't tell you. Um, <laughs> it's just one of those things that's kind of happened. And I actually started my PT Instagram because the outpatient place that I had worked at when I graduated wanted their PTs to be on Instagram for like client purposes. And then obviously when I left, it transitioned to acute care stuff. Um, but to answer your question, I honestly don't really have an answer. <laughs> Just yeah. like, I think the advice that I find that I give when it comes to PT students, which is primarily what I was talking about because I had just graduated and I was like, okay, like, what are all the things that I you know, want to share from my past three years? Um, just happen to also relate or resonate with people who were applying to PT school. And then obviously PT students eventually graduate. So you're kind of like hitting all like the transition phases. Um, so, and I don't know, I've just kind of always, I'm not a person that can just 
take one answer or take no for an answer. So I will always look for 10 answers to whatever the question is that I have in my head and just dig the internet or dig whatever resources I have for more and more and more. So it's just kind of, um, when I've gone through all these transitions and then obviously have spoken countless times to the many DMS and other students that I've spoken to and worked with, uh, I just kind of dug up so many resources and I'm like, all right, let's just compile everything and create like homes for this stuff because I'll save everyone the 10 plus hours, 20 plus hours of research and put it all in one spot um, because I did it myself. So it's, it's just something that I think I've kind of happily fell into, um, which is like the best way to go about something. Yeah. And you've obviously built a awesome platform, uh, influential platform. And I'm really curious to hear about your creative process, how you go about creating content. Do you have a schedule? Do you have times where you feel just extra creative and you just go for it? You're going to love this answer. I literally have no process. Oh, I like, I, like <laughs> wish I had a process because sometimes it's stressful. Um, but my process is a lot of like deep thinking on my commutes home. <laughs> um, cause I used to have, I used to have like a one, one and a half hour commute, 45 minutes on a good day. Um, so it used to be just like when you're by yourself listening to music podcasts or whatever. And my notes app is just full of things that I jot down. And then usually like, I would say 80%, 85% of the time I'll post about it like that same day. Um, but there's a couple of times where I just, I've have like planned things. I'm like, oh, I have like three notes that I'm, three ideas that I'm writing down. So I'll post them like all that week. Um, but I'd say majority of the time it's the same day, if not the next day, <laughs> um, which is kind of scary thinking about it. <laughs> But I feel like with reels and like TikTok, as that's become more popular, I'll just like film a bunch in a day and then uh, I'll leave them like blank and then see where I can incorporate them down the line. But that's, that's just because the like content goes now, which is not actually my favorite, but it is what it is. Yeah. Well, that's really cool to hear. You know, you don't have to have a super structured type A plan to be successful with social media content. So honestly, I think that's the best way if you wanted to be on social media, because the more rigid you are, the more forced it is. And audiences can a thousand percent pick up on that. Um, If you just think of like how you consume content from the end and like what you'd want to see or what want to like learn or read about or hear about. And it's just like, okay, do I want something that's perfectly curated and seems very structured um because it does come through in ways that you like don't even realize when you're posting it because you are posting it for one reason but then forget about like the consumption reason uh so you always have to kind of think about what it is that the audience is like getting from it um obviously if you plan things like calendar wise that's a different story but I think if you were to like force ideas out on paper that's kind of what I mean um take it from like a soulful place that's like a purpose that you want to share something like hey this is a cool idea let me share it but not sharing something just for the sake of like 
making a post. Yeah. And one thing I noticed about you is you're very, you have very strong opinions and you stand by them, which I think that's a good thing. (laughs) No, I mean, that's great. People are attracted to other people who stand for something instead of, you know, standing for nothing. So I think that's awesome that your content is that way. And I think it shows other people that you don't have to cater to everyone's needs because if you do that you're catered to you know no one in a way like uh watered down so yeah I think it's part being a New Yorker which obviously most people can't relate to but like yes New Yorkers are very hard people I feel like um and I tell everyone that because I'm like if you're not from like even the like the northeast area I feel like it's I, I forget that I have people from like other areas of the country so like post something and I'm like oh no one understands this like at all um but I I think it's I lost my train of thought but it, it's more so boundaries I think um because like I said earlier, like this isn't something I ever wanted to do. Like I never had a goal to grow a platform and like, I don't share much of my personal life on there. It's mostly like PT content. Um, and people forget that. And I've gotten for some weird reason, especially the past few months, I don't know if it's like post COVID post quarantine, people are like getting a little more rowdy, but I've gotten some messages over time that they're just People expect so much of you just because you have a platform and these are people I've never met in my life. So, you know, you kind of have to be a little stronger in your opinions. It's like, Hey, like, this is me. This is who I am. This is my platform. Like you don't have to be here. So I don't know. It just comes with the territory, I think, which is, it could be a positive and a negative. Um, but like I said, as someone who didn't really want to be on social media and doesn't want to be someone who people know, because I'm just typically a very private person. It's just a little, it's a, it's a weird territory to navigate sometimes. One thing I did like that you mentioned, Steph, and that I kind of thought about and just what I kind of interpret it as, as I read and see your posts is, for lack of a better term, it like comes from the heart. You can tell that, yes, you thought it out, but yes, it isn't scripted, kind of like you said. And um for me, it just, it's got a nice authenticity to it, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I think, thank you for that. And it's important for, for, for me when I'm writing things for that to come across. Um, I think that's why it's kind of picked up as much as it has, because this, and that's why I kind of go based off, like I said, whatever is in my head too, because it's, it's, it's been a lot of reflection. I was a average good ish student in PT school, but I like from a grade standpoint, but I think from like a mental and physical health standpoint, I was probably in the worst capacity of my life, probably for the first year and a half to two years. And I think so once I started kind of getting into that better area, so to speak, for the end of second, third year. And then, you know, I kind of flourished once I was in clinicals and stuff and I really enjoyed it and grew so confident in myself and my skills. Um, I, when I graduated, I was like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> like, what, why is no one talking about this? And I, I mean, I personally didn't know anyone who was a PT, let alone um, an older PT student or a recent new grad. I was like, I went through this myself and 
why, why is no one talking about the, like how school just kind of chews you up and like, no one's really there for you. Like I had a professor ask if I was dyslexic at one point. And I was like, okay, I think that's a little far of a stretch because I just kept, I was so stressed out. I kept getting my rights and lefts mixed up. Not like my like letters on a piece of paper, but it, you know, it's just like things, experiences like that, that have happened to me that I'm like, okay, I need to talk about this stuff because I can't be the only one. And funny enough, as we became close to graduation in my program specifically, and talking with my other classmates as we were navigating clinicals and stuff, we were all like, wait a second, you were also like this during the semester, or you were also struggling? Like, no one talked about it when we were actually in that thick of it. So that's why I even have like a whole story highlight on my page called SPT advice, it is what it is. And it's a whole bunch of stories that I've shared of other students' messages talking about their difficulties because no one talks about this stuff, but it's everything that everyone needs to hear because everyone thinks that they're the only ones going through it. And my posts are very authentic because it's literally things that have happened to me that I'm like, oh shit, okay. And now on the coming out on the other side, you know, looking back, what have I learned from it and what was the takeaway from it? And how did it get me to where I am today? Because on social media, it looks like I have my life together, but I promise you, I sure as hell do not. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I feel like to get to PT school, you almost kind of have to show off like a perfectionist culture. And I think that's something that we almost kind of harbor like all throughout. And hell, like I I gave up on that quick after I got my first B, which was like first semester. So that <laughs> that didn't take long for that to get knocked out of me. But you know, you bring up a good point in the sense that it's like, you're like, wait, I really can't be alone in this, can I? And it's comforting to know that it's not just you out there. And then that you can relate with others on this. And um, from just my experience, like, I do appreciate that. And I really do. And like, another aspect, are either of you on TikTok? Okay. Have you ever, yeah, right. Like, however, have you ever stumbled on a TikTok that was like, about someone having like a point like one of those point of view videos or like a recent thought video or something like that and then you go to the comments and the comments are always like wow I've never had an original thought ever I don't know if that's just me on videos that are my FIB but like that's what it, it really is that it's one of those things that you always think you're alone in situations but I can promise you that there's probably at least a thousand other people in the same exact situation as you humans are not as different as we like to believe. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That's just a perfect mic drop moment right there. (laughs) I love it. No. And I, I agree with you. Like, I think it's, you know, it's kind of hard to see things through like a bigger, it's not just us lens. So, you know, once you kind of have that moment of like, Oh crap, it's not just me. Like it really does rock your world, but it kind of brings comfort at the same time. It's a weird rock and hard place kind of feeling. Yeah. But it's also, I feel like can kind of give people hope seeing that, okay, like this really sucks right now, but I'm going to be able to move past it. I'm going to be able to still be a PT or a clinician or work in whatever setting I want to work in and kind of not experience the hurdles that if maybe someone wasn't on the other side, you wouldn't think that those hurdles were, would be things that you'd be getting over. Absolutely. And I think just throughout PT school, we may struggle in different areas. Like 
you know, maybe not everyone in your class is having trouble with lecture and whatever and exams, but maybe at some point, actually, whenever going out on the clinicals, like having trouble, like for myself, especially, I've had a lot of trouble with confidence and like, like even going into my orthopedic rotation where I think I know a lot about, you know, musculoskeletal and I find myself lacking confidence and I'm thankful to, you know, talk with other people and learn that it's not just me. And the other thing is, is I heard a quote recently says, never attach your confidence to your abilities, attach your confidence to your intentions instead. And I thought that was something helpful. That's a huge one. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And Dyer said that. And it's like, because our skill level, we necessarily can't control, but we can control, we can always control our attitude and our effort. So those are a couple of things to take away from that quote. So, yeah, that's awesome. And I think that really kind of shines into, you know, when you, when you're kind of on the other side after practicing for a few years and, you know, maybe you get your first student in clinic and, or you just work with students other ways and you kind of realize the confidence piece isn't going to come until you're like doing the same job every day for months on end, right? Like you're not, it's not going to be something that happens overnight. It's not going to be a 4.0 GPA and you got a hundred every single exam you've ever taken in PT school, you're still not going to be able to navigate every single patient in every single patient scenario, but it's hard to grapple and understand that when you're in the thick of it, but it takes time and it takes, you know, I think building patient rapport and like working on all of those other more communication-based skills is are the things that are really going to solidify the textbook or foundational skills that you learned from PT school. Right on. For sure. Wow. <laughs> all right. So Steph, just to wrap it up, this is our favorite question to ask all our guests at the end of the show. What is your definition of a great physical therapist? Someone who cares. <laughs> and I say that like very so simply because if you don't actually care about the person in front of you the odds of them ever getting better were probably less than when you do care because if you actually care about the like the counter argument is if you actually care about the person in front of you you're going to do every single thing every which way to make sure that they are going to get better or you're at least trying your best because obviously we know some things we can't control I will put that disclaimer out there um but you're not going to like give up on them and you're not going to just throw the same three exercises at them for six weeks you're going to be trying different techniques you're going to be listening to them you're going to be understanding their goals um beyond just being pain-free or injury-free or whatever medical by our physiological component is uh I think that's kind of what's been the biggest thing for me in acute care because I look at everything now with a functional lens rather than a therex lens from like outpatient ortho based care and if you're 
able to get the person back to a functional goal, whether that's like hold their baby or walk to the bathroom, um, the outcome is, and the reward is going to be a lot better. So that's what I think makes a great PT. Absolutely. Beautifully, beautifully put. All right, Steph, thank you so, so much for coming on today. I feel like we got the world's worth of knowledge and then some today. That was stellar. Um, for our almost said viewers, listeners, um, what are some good ways to keep up with you, whether it be social media or anything of the like? Yeah, the easiest way is going to be Instagram. So that's at dpt.steph, S-T-E-P-H. Um, you could do email dptsteph at gmail.com um, for like a longer winded, I guess, kind of question or contact. But I think everything is kind of through Instagram. So you can reach out through there. For sure. And we'll definitely have that jotted down in the show notes. Steph, again, thank you. Hope you have a great rest of your night. Thanks for having me.